0: Could it be? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I had to uh, set my microphone up <clears> on <throat> my uh,
1: earphones on this laptop. I've got a Mac and Ashley's got a window, so I was, I've was i never fucking typed so quick in all my life. <laughs> well, there you go. So,
0: done. Anyway, done and dusted. I like that. Done and dusted. What does that even mean? <laughs> It's a British
1: colloquialism for basically saying that you're finished, everything's done. Done and dusted. And you, you do it with your swipey your hands together. Uh,
0: uh, I, th- I saw you more like in a maid's outfit with a feather duster, like, dusting. <laughs> for the right price. <laughs> a French maid. Yeah, yes. For the right
1: price, I'll do anything. Yeah, yeah. For the
0: right price, I'll do anything. <laughs> I think that's uh, true. Right. <laughs> how much did we pay you to sell your soul to kodiak pro
1: (laughs) i pretty much am now i'm hated but i'm I'm as hated as you are universally oh Uh. god
0: i i don't think the world's going to end but i do think and i every generation thinks this so it's not unique to to me or this generation but every generation thinks their generation is going to be the one that's going to face some catastrophic hardship and this just is like the psychology of human beings you think it's going to happen during my life right yeah. But I do believe that something's going to happen in our lifetime, whether it's an EMP, whether it's uh, some type of solar flare that creates an, an issue, but power grid goes down, whatever. And um, I think it's a very real possibility because we've become so dependent. Our, our, our way of life is so fragile right now. And mm. it doesn't take much to like completely shut it down. And, you know, if a hundred years ago, most most of the world was still living off the grid per se like they didn't have electricity they had ways of getting their own water they grew their own food they knew how to do those things it's crazy how in a hundred years all that knowledge becomes lost and forgotten and um, you know they did a study like an EMP if an EMP hit the United States a solar flare hit the United States uh, within nine months 90% of the population would be dead within nine months in the United States um, that was a government study where they, they like had all these experts and scientists, you know, crunch the numbers and look at it and that's what they came up with. And that was conservative. They said it could actually be way worse than that. So I was talking to Aaron about it I'm like, you know, we like live right in the middle of the city. Our neighborhood's gonna be the first one, man. Our neighborhood, they're just there's gonna be like, you know, mobs of people just ransacking these houses within a day. Cause it's just these are just old waspy people living in this neighborhood. They're just gonna come through here and take everything, right? So I'm looking kind of like Dusty. Like I'm looking right now for land on the outskirts. Far enough yep. out that, uh, that, you know, you have some space. You have some space. You yeah. have some space to, to you know, protect yourself.
1: I said that to him just, I think it was yesterday, I spoke to Dusty uh, very briefly and just said, you live in paradise for me. And actually that's what we dream of in 10, 15 years' time. So um, absolute paradise to have that space and just be so far out of it in your own little kind of
0: Uh, ecosystem, it's I do admire him greatly so um, it looks wonderful where he is. That was kind of my dream man, and I have some Mm. ideas, you know, with Rammed Earth of building uh, covertly defensible structures that look beautiful and modern but can lock down in a matter of seconds and, you know, (laughs) but maybe I'm just crazy, (laughs) I don't know, It was funny, I talked to some of my friends about this, they're like, dude, I think about the same thing, and I'm like, I know, you can't really say this out loud, but this is the stuff I think about (laughs) Uh, in, in
1: Britain, we'll be we thinking about as the next cup of tea and the next scum. <laughs> the, world, the, the world be damned.
0: <laughs> uh, I think about shooting lines and, you know, ballistic <laughs> resistance yeah. structures and, and this kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, let me tell you a, little, uh, let me tell you a little, little tidbit I learned. This could come in handy to my listeners of the podcast. And I heard this on NPR and I've never forgotten it. And I think it's very valuable information should you decide to build your own house is they were talking to this guy and during Vietnam, he was, uh, him and his, his, uh, other soldiers were in tents in the jungle. And every night the Viet Cong would shoot at him from the trees and they couldn't see him, but they'd be shot at all night and tents aren't going to stop anything. Right. Yeah. And so they couldn't sleep. They're up all night, every night. And so what they did is they took plywood, they took two by fours, they built these woods where they sheathed, instead of using drywall, they used plywood and they filled the, the cavity with gravel. And they'd put these up around their tents and they were totally bulletproof because mm-hmm. the plywood would slow the bullet just enough and then it would hit that gravel and just disperse and the gravel's loose and it would just disperse the bullet into fragments and it would not come through the other sheet of plywood on the backside. And yep. so he's talking to this interviewer on in NPR and I'm like taking mental notes. I'm like, that's how you make a bulletproof wall. That's crazy, right? Because you could do that in your house. Mm-hmm. You could sheet that yeah. plywood, fill it with gravel, then sheet rock it, then paint it. Somebody comes around, so it's just a regular wall. It looks like every other wall in your house. But you know, hey, you're getting a firefight. You're a treat behind this wall. They're shooting at you. It's not going to pierce the wall. You're safe. So, anyway, put that away in, in, in the banks of your mind because someday that might come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> it might not for me
1: over here. I don't really have any guns, so uh, well,
0: you know, yeah. there's yeah, different kinds of guns. You, yeah. You're carrying two guns with you every day, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Someone someone said to me they saw me and John in the picture on the course and like, I'm not sure who's got the bigger guns out of you than John. <laughs> oh, well let, let
0: John get on the juice, man. He'll he'll have you beat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's uh, he's he's a big fella. He's got bigger hands than me, haven't he? Got tiny female hands, little yeah. tiny hands. He's got John's like, like the Brock guns? Lesnar hands. John does. <laughs> Yeah. You've got hands like shovels. You said, look at the size of your hands. You could literally wrap his entire hand over one of my fists. Yeah. So very embarrassing. So, yeah, well, never mind. I've got longer hair and better hair.
0: You want to talk about concrete?
1: <laughs> yeah, go on, yeah. I'm ready when you are. Talk about concrete.
0: Well, I mean, I've been I've been uh, dealing with a bunch of other stuff for the last month, but what, it, what what's on, on your agenda for concrete? What have you been thinking about?
1: So, lately, well, I've been finishing my workshop, or our workshop, sorry, I new workshop, so I've been doing that for the past six weeks, and so really, the last week and a half has been the first time of casting nearly two, two and a half months, Um, so what have I been doing? I've been doing some conference tables, one of which is uh, a court and finish there. I seem to be getting quite well known for in the UK. I will seem to be doing something with it. So um, I've been using other products to stain it, and they're great. Don't get me wrong, they work. However, uh, you know yourself, there's certain things in products that you do and don't like. So, you know, whether they – see, for me, if I'm doing a big conference table and you're trying to stain something or whatever, whether it's acid stain, glazing, whatever, it can get away from you. So some products give you more working time to kind of get the effect. Some products, you know, go off quicker. Some of them have better colors, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, it got me thinking. I spoke to John, and I said to John, I said, surely I can just make my own stain with um, CT Protect. And he said, yeah, you can. So essentially, he developed a recipe for me to use, which is um, one part CT Protect and one part water, and then 5%, 5 to 10% of that total volume of added um, water-based pigment, and I've done that for this conference table, and it's pretty phenomenal. I think um, if you're into that kind of look, and the beauty of it is, um, is that I can now make pretty much any of my own colors. I'm not, you know, stuck to arbitrary colors by other companies. So I was able to get the kind of specific orange that I wanted, the specific yellow, the specific brown, blacks. Um, so. That was pretty cool to me. So, if anybody's listening and wants to make their own glaze, it is as simple as buy protect water and buy any water-based pigment, and um, away you go. So, follow that recipe, and you'll be able. To, you too will be able to make your own stains. That's so, awesome.
0: Well, John developed yeah. the original Buddy Rhodes stain product. Yes, and yep. you know, so that was pretty much what he told you. It was it was uh, mm-hmm. ICT and uh, dispersible pigments and, and some additional water to dilute it. So it wasn't just straight ICT, yep. but, uh, but yeah, that's what it was. So yeah, I'm glad that John is sharing that information and shared it with you and you're sharing it with everybody because that's very valuable information to have for sure.
1: Absolutely. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, if anybody's doing like a very like, dusty message with me, cause he saw the picture and he's like, oh, are you, um, are you glazing, uh, makers mix? Obviously I, I use rad mix. We sell makers mix, but I mainly use rad mix. And I said yes, and he's he made the good point that it's such a tight matrix that it's hard to get anything to go in. So the what I do if I'm glazing any piece, instead of doing like you know you do and we do ninety percent of the time, you know SCC, I will actually um, um, pour in a very well a much stiffer mix with PVAs, more of an ECC, and purposely want it to create voids. Number one for the look of courting because it resembles like pitted steel. But number two, because you're opening the surface a lot, much more. It's not as dense. as obviously an SCC or a sprayed finish, If you go or, or a trowel finish. Um, and then, like I said, it's dusty as well. I really heavily etch the surface. So um, go down to like a 3-4-1 to one acid and do that two or three times. So the concrete probably feels like a 180, 200-grit texture to it. So, you know, you've got a much rougher surface. You know, by the time you've glazed it, I painted the surface and sealed it. You know, it does even out a little bit, but you still are left with more of a leather finish, I would say. Um, but it's the only way to get it to um, open up and up to actually accept the stain um, and not just be sat on the surface, if you know what I mean. So um, <clears throat> if anybody wants to do it, that's, that's my advice for doing it. And I've glazed quite a lot now over the past probably, how long have I been glazing for? Two, three, three years probably. Um, that's what I've learned and I'll be honest with the people that are listening, I am not stupid. I only do on um, low traffic items like dining tables or outdoor furniture, outdoor kitchens. Um, I don't heavily glaze, you know, someone's, you know, indoor kitchen or, you know, a commercial top because, you know, you're just asking for trouble. It's not gonna you are know, you're, you're relying on a coating, to be honest, on that kind of heavy glaze, which I have to. And, you know, eventually it's going to scratch, it's going to wear, and you're going to need to replace it, which probably means you have to reglaze the entire thing. So just use a bit of common sense if you're going to glaze things. That's my advice.
0: Absolutely. That's good. I was going to ask um, you that, is, you know, what's um, been your experience? Because that was Dusty's experience years ago, was he was super heavy glazing Dusty Crete in the early days, and they looked great for a little while and then we'd, you know, go back to his house, um, six months later for a class and the sink that was amazing in his kitchen, his kitchen sink was all dark brown and beautiful. And the whole bottom of the sink would be like whitish gray because all the glaze had worn off mm-hmm. and he would, you know, polish it and reglaze it and reseal it and it would look good for a few months and then it would slowly wear mm-hmm. off again. And so I think, you know, Dusty learned his lesson that you already know is just anything that's going to get a lot of use. Don't, don't use yeah. glaze. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the court and finishes, you know, 99% of the time it's outside. So the tables do outside. The planters have done with it. The kitchens have done. The fire tables are done with it now. done quite a lot of it. And it's all outside. You know, it. it <laughs> let's be quite frank, especially in the UK, it doesn't see a lot of use. It gets rained on 80% of the year. Um, you know, so I know that it's probably going to last. Well, it is going to last a hell of a lot longer than if it was you know, an indoor piece. This table this, this table I'm just down now, the conference table, that is an indoor conference table, but again, it's a conference table. Um, you know, it's not going to get as much, anywhere near as much use as an indoor dining table. It's used for meetings. Um, you know what I mean? So, yeah, just use a bit of common sense. And so, but yeah, I wanted to cover that because obviously you spoke about glazes in the last podcast, I think. So, um, you know, I'm quite excited that I can now make my own. So, Um, yeah, especially with protect knowing that
0: what it does to the concrete too. So, um, best of both worlds. So, you know, you're doing fire, fire pits. I have two questions that were, Mm -hmm. I've seen about what you're talking. One is what has been your experience with concrete around fire features? So put that in your, in your mind to answer. And the second thing is a question has popped up on Facebook on different pages and also just privately had a phone call yesterday and I've actually had a few messages over the last week or so. Are people wanting to embed other materials into concrete, whether it's wood? Uh, the call I had yesterday, guy guy's going to do a quarrying piece for like mm. cutting stuff, preparing food, but it's going to be permanently cast into the concrete. He's asking my advice on that. What are your, what, what's your thoughts and experiences on embedding other materials besides concrete? So whether it's wood, quarrying, steel, whatever it is. And then what, is, what has been your experience with fire features and concrete? How has it held up?
1: So I'll start with the the easy one. So five features um, mine have held great because, <clears throat> excuse me. In the so, I'll talk from a UK perspective. So in the UK, up until very recently, uh, we were using burners that were made here, and they only had a um, a BTU of about um, I think it's about 70,000 BTUs um, thermal units compared to like say the warming trends over there, which are like one hundred and ninety thousand, something ridiculous. Um so you know we had burners that were putting out a hell of a lot less heat. Um, but also it was because we we were always kind of clever enough to put the the fire pan you know quite close to the surface of the concrete. so it was never lower than two inch uh, as a recess in in the concrete. and you know we always made sure there was a good off the top of my head in 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 nineteenth in eighteenth century measurements, I think it was about five or six inches to the to the flame. Um, around the concrete itself so in other words the heat was always you know quite far away from the concrete and you know we always um, supplied and we still do glass windshields um, especially when we're doing a recess Um, I'll ask you a question about your triangulum in a moment because that's an interesting question just thought of but yeah my my experience has been I've never had one crack on me I've never had you know one fail I've had the burners fail but that's a different thing entirely but, yeah, um they sell well in the u k for for the for the time, the time of year that we have. Um, and, yeah, so I can't say I've had a bad experience with them, to be quite honest with you. The only time it kind of the concretes ever kind of failed, it was more of a sealer issue with topicals in the day was from people covering it, even though I was told them not to. And, yeah, that's when, obviously, they take the cover off and they have this wonderful gray or medium gray or dark gray fire table, and it's basically gone white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've had great experience um, with fire tables, as long as you don't sit the, the burner too deep into the concrete and the flames aren't too close to the edge. That was my do, question. Do you
0: do the the glass windbreaks around your, your burners?
1: We you do, yeah. So I have, I have, I have integrally... Kind of put like a piece of foam in the concrete to slot the glass into. Um However, didn't like that really. So now we just supply them to these. Sit on the top with little tiny aluminium um, angle brackets in the corners and just sit on the concrete. And um yeah, we just tell clients to remove them when it's not being used, so there's no moisture trapping on the prime protect ICT. Gotcha. So yeah, but yeah, we um, we we always supply the windshields. Um, yeah, no questions asked because ultimately. If you don't, and then I've seen it on a, on a windy day, you've got that burner going. And um, especially now, Ashley and I have managed to source some burners from Europe that are about 110,000 BTU, 120,000 BTU. We managed to source them we are going to probably start selling as well because we have to bring so many in to actually, you know, <laughs> to be able to get the price down on them. But now, I installed a I thing I showed you, that brass table base I did, the ombre brass. Yeah. And I literally thought, I'll just test the burners before I put the glass around it. As I turn the burners on, <laughs> like Zeus himself had just blown up a side and blown this big wind gust. As I turn the burners on full, the fucking flames just fanned right across the concrete. Luckily, it's ICT, it's all that Debra's left like a soot mark on the concrete. But you know, if that you know yourself over time, if that's going to constantly hit that concrete, it's going to fail, you know. And that's not a fault of any product, that's a fault of the fact that you know you're just abusing. Um, you know, what you've created or the client abuse and what
0: you've created. So, yeah, always apply windshields. And then uh, foreign materials and concrete. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So, for me, anytime you are going to put like steel in concrete or wood, corian, you know, whatever it is, for whatever design, personally, I like to keep them separate entities. So, you know, taking. Wood, for the example, you've seen, I think Concrete Piggy does these amazing concrete and wood tables. You've probably seen them, uh, like waterfall tables and uh, beautiful pieces. If you were going to do things like that, my advice would be to have it that you cast against the wood, but you've got a bond breaker between the wood and the concrete, whether it's tape or epoxy that's then waxed or whatnot. Um, So essentially you get that kind of waney edge or live edge or straight edge of the wood so it's nice and neat obviously you then remove that for processing the concrete and obviously then you would then join it up whether it's through an all thread that's in the concrete you know and in the wood that you then bolted together or um, you know or any other way that people do it that's that's how I would do it and feel comfortable with doing it. Um, I think especially with wood and steel you know you know yourself it's such a big difference in the thermal expansion of the two materials one goes one way one goes the other at different rates. That I think if you're embedding them permanently, you're asking for trouble. And I say that based on friends I have here and abroad that have embedded steel in the concrete, whether they've like welded on little tiny all thread onto the steel that's embedded into the concrete, or just literally just, you know, cast against it that's then cracked within one season. Um, and they're then left with having to remake a piece for a client because obviously, you know, they've got a piece that's failed. I've seen it as well with uh, with wood. It's basically cracked where they put the oil thread um, into the wood and the concrete. It literally cracked on the oil thread. So um, obviously it's, the wood's trying to pull and it's pulling against the concrete and, you know, someone's got to give somewhere. So that's my advice. If you were, you know, and if you were going to say put like a Corian breadboard or a wooden breadboard into the working surface, personally, I'd do it where, again, you know, you make some sort of mold that's the shape of the Corian or the wood or whatever, and then I would then probably just silicon it in with a very small gap around the edge. Um, So obviously you allow for that expansion and contraction. I concur. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I've seen it. I did, I mean, I've done several over the years um, inlays, but I did a bar in Tempe, Arizona, that uh, Cornish Pasty Company pasties are amazing i'm sure you love pasties uh but cornish pasty company the guys they weren't mine he supplied the letters he had the letters laser cut out of steel and wanted me to embed them into concrete and i said hey dude i'm happy to do it but you're probably going to get little cracks off the letters over the over the years and he's like yeah i don't care Mm -hmm. and so we embedded them in and we polished it down we sealed it and back then i was using um maybe eap maybe e32k some type of topical i can't remember what it was i think it was eap though so we're using a topical sealer so a couple things that were interesting number one is when i sealed it i went back six months later and underneath the sealer rust was starting to spider on the steel so moisture you know in the concrete mm. would get trapped under the sealer it couldn't it couldn't outgas. And it was spider rusting. It was really kind of cool. It was like a spider web of rust and all the steel. And that was happening underneath the sealer. So that was the first thing. I went back a year later, maybe a year and a half later. And there was all these little crazing cracks. They weren't structural. They didn't go through the concrete. But these little crazing cracks off the corners of the letter. So it was like a 90 degree, like on an R or something. um, Mm -hmm. Where that corner was, it would be like a little crack that spidered off. And um, it just kind of progressed. And never, I mean, it was never structural, it was never a structural failure of any sort, but it definitely showed that over years and years, and I probably, the last time I went in there was probably been in there for three or four years at that point. You could see it, you could see it. It was just the nature of two materials moving at different rates over the years and it's gonna just create these yeah. little crazing cracks. And if you're fine with it and you tell the client, hey, it's gonna happen, or are like, yeah, I don't care, then hey, whatever, do it. But if it's um, gonna be problematic, definitely talk about it. There's things you can do to mitigate it, so... The guy that called me about the corian yesterday, I told him, you know, these, these crazing cracks love to follow a sharp angle. And mm-hmm. so if you take that corian and you're able to put a really nice rounded corner on it, you know, a pretty substantial rounded corner, that'll, it won't, it won't completely negate it, but it'll minimize the cracks that come off that corner. And so anything you can do, cause it just reduces the stress of the expansion and contraction at that spot. And um, so there's things you can do, but yeah, it just is what it is.
1: I was, um, was going to say that I know there's people that successfully have permanently bedded the like wood, for example, into the concrete, and ultimately if they're finding success, that's fantastic. This is more a case of, for me, I am I am not ashamed to say I'm, you know, a natural kind of worrier, and I worry too much, you know, what may happen. So for me, I just feel more comfortable not having something permanently bedded into there. Um, I don't want a phone call in one year, 10 years, 20 years, you know. Um, that's, you know, that's why I recommend it. But if people are having success doing it otherwise and, you know, crack on, pun intended, um, you know, you carry on, you know, don't let me tell you to do otherwise.
0: Well, I think, I think the, the question isn't is if it'll work because it'll work. You can definitely take a live edge slab and cast it directly against concrete. That'll work. The question is, what is the long term durability of that piece and will it fall apart? No, it's not going to fall apart I mean, unless you put some super, Expanse of wood right in the middle of a slab, and you know it's going to expand and contract because you put it outdoors. Well, then it might fall apart. But on a dining table, it's probably not going to fall apart. But will it develop crazing? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. it will. And you know, well, it hasn't happened to me yet. Well, give it some time. Give it some time. It'll happen. It's just a matter of time until it happens. You know, Dusty did a project. It was really cool. It was—I want to say—this white concrete with like copper inlays I
1: remember the and wood in the center. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the wood was popping out after a while. You know, he have to, he, and he told the client he didn't recommend doing it. So just mm-hmm. just as a caveat, because I remember when this happened, and Dusty was posting photos, and I said, no, 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 and he's like, "Dude, I told the client, I warned them this is not what I'd recommend," and they were adamant that's what they wanted, and so he did it. And you know, I don't know how long it was, six months or a year. Wood started kind of you know, curling and stuff due to moisture, and and. uh and kind of delaminating from the concrete and then it becomes a whole another problem. So yeah, so there's that. There's that.
1: I I admire Dusty for doing that, but again, excuse me, now when people, I have clients like that, again, speaking for me and Ashley, when we have clients that are like adamantly want to do something, we, we walk away, as you've said to me before, the best jobs are the ones that you don't get. Yeah. No, because you know, the thing is for me, And I don't know if it's different to the UK or America or it's the same here or there, but in the UK, if I was to say to somebody that this is going to happen, it's in the contract, we put an email, we put it in writing, you know, we we back ourselves up with it every way we can in terms of, you know, the law, you know full well that as soon as that goes wrong, 90% of the time, that client's still going to blame you, you know, and and then we're the ones that, you know, ultimately – have, you know, they're going to want to blame somebody and it's always going to be the maker and not going
0: to go, well, I told you to do it, you know. Well, they always it's have amnesia. It's amazing. That. Yeah. It's amazing the occurrences yeah. of amnesia with clients that have a problem with their piece that they were warned against. I don't remember saying that. Well, <laughs> luckily we have it in email because I said, let's not do that. And you're very adamant. Well, that, that, that brings you to
1: a very little kind of segue from there. So in the forum recently, talking about you know amnesia, there's a, a chap and he's a lovely chap and he's new to the industry and he asked about um, a thirteen or fourteen foot piece that he was making, how to reinforce it and his, his specific question was, it's hard to get scrim or fiber rod or basalt rod in my country. He's in Salvador, um, you know I can't really get them. So what can I do to reinforce his piece? So. I think sometimes people don't read the question, um, or as my maths teacher says, read the fucking question. Uh, RT, RTF, is that? Anyway. And he, so he asked this question, and my response was basically, well, if you can't get those materials, I would personally post-tension it. Now, the reason I said that is, does the piece need to be post-tensioned over time? No. You know, it's fairly evident for anybody who's done this for any amount of time. But it's because anyone really can get all thread, you know, and nuts and washers, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I basically said, you know, that's what I recommend. You know, there's a course coming up, obviously, that you're doing um, with Joe again, the Concrete Heroes Quest. Go and learn how to do it there, but get these simple materials and just post-tension it because when you're handling that size piece with such an experience, it's going to give you – not going to completely protect you and be bulletproof, but it's going to give you a lot more leeway to, quote-unquote, mishandle something um, than if you just use straight fibers. And obviously – I presume his chaps using his homemade kind of mix too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not going to be as strong as Rad Mix, for example, or Maker's Mix. So that was my kind of um, my kind of um, thing for him. And people weren't having digs at me, but the, the kind of responses were, oh, you don't need to post tension it, it's way overkill. It'll be fine on its own. You don't need scrim, you don't need this. And I think I respect these people that said that. I really do. And for me, it's a case of, well, You know, you're forgetting how experienced you are. You know how to handle things. You know how to do things. You know the order of business. You know, but in those kind of forums, you're talking to people who don't have that requisite knowledge, and that's really why I was kind of saying you'll over-engineer it by doing this, and that's kind of the last thought of it. You know, Uh, and unfortunately, he posted two days ago, I think, saying that the piece or yesterday saying the piece had cracked because he mishandled it, and you know, um, unbeknownst to me. He actually follows me on Instagram, and I was talking to him on Instagram about this, and I was thinking, this is—I'm sure this is the same person on this forum. And it turns out it was. You know, and my response was, look, I don't want to be having a conversation with you where your piece has failed. I really don't. I wish it hadn't. Um, you know, but this is the reason why I said, you know, overkill it, because now you're having to go through the pain of, you know, rescheduling, ringing the client. It's going to be disappointed, and you know, then you have to put everything else back because you have to remit this entire piece, and that's why I said, you know, overengineer it and i did make a comment in his post on facebook and said look i hope the people that you know said to you it was fine you don't need it it'll be fine without it you know hopefully come out of the woodwork now and help you you know with an answers to try and fix this um you know and that that was kind of tongue-in-cheek but yeah you know i hope you know where i'm kind of going with that so absolutely well
0: um, yeah i, I watched that whole thing and I wanted to make a comment, but I'm like, uh, eh, I'm not going to comment on this because everything was said that could have been said, and I'm not going to add any value yeah. to the conversation. You're 100% right. I personally would make that without scrim, without uh, post-tension, without rod, if yeah. it were me, mm-hmm. but yeah. the experience, that's what's the difference. So, you know, if you know how to flip a piece up, you know how to transfer, so you're not going to flex it, you know how to transfer it, you just hinge it up on edge and you move it like glass and you set it down and you, you know, evenly lower it down. You can mitigate 99% of the potential for cracking by proper handling. But if you're new and you're just cranking on one end, which a new guy always does, um, mm-hmm. you're just cranking on one end, you're carrying it flat like a new guy always does because it's easier. Um, you're putting it on saw horses or all different heights, which a new guy always does because it doesn't know. Uh, you're gonna end up with cracks, you know, and so that's mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. That's where overkill it um it, it's insurance. When Aaron and I were driving down to the beach, she saw a sign on the side of a building that the gist of it was quality is cheaper than doing it twice. That's not what it said. it said something else, but that was the gist mm-hmm. of it, right yeah. and we we continue to talk about that as we were driving, about that concept, and it's something that we've been trying to convey. For quite a while, me and John and you and Joe Bates have been trying to convey to the industry is, you know, the kind of sometimes the feedback we get is, oh, well, Kodiak Pro is expensive. And we've broken down the numbers and we'll do it again some point where in comparison to pretty much every material, well, in comparison to every material out there, whether it's from Trinic or Fishstone or Buddy Roads, on average, the worst case scenario is Kodiak Pro is about a dollar more a square foot. We've done the math on all the different products. It's about a dollar more or less a square foot apples mm-hmm. to apples, about a dollar more, which on a 10 square foot sink is 10 bucks on a 60 square foot kitchen at 60 bucks. Neither one of those things are, are going to make or break a project. That saying quality costs less than doing it twice. Quality costs less than doing it twice. It's so true. And had this, had this person, and I know he's very inexperienced, so he doesn't know what he doesn't know. But had he invested in the right materials, whether it's Kodiak Pro or just proper reinforcement that he could have got, you know, the correct fibers, if he did get scrim, whatever, it would have ultimately cost him less than the cost of recasting. Another thing is it not only cost him money, but it cost him confidence with the client. When you call a client and say, hey, I'm sorry, uh, the piece broke. I want to redo it. The confidence in you as somebody that's competent dropped dramatically. And mm-hmm. now they're going to view you through a different prism of, of who they thought you were and who they now think you are as far as your ability to, to make what you said you could make. And that's detrimental. You, don't want, you never want to lose confidence with the client. You want the client to think that you're the expert, that you know what you're doing, that you're going to deliver on what you say you're going to deliver on. And they don't, you don't want them questioning because from now on, they're going to question them. Are you sure? Um, I don't know. You know. It's like, well, you hired me because I was the expert, but now they lost confidence. So that, that's a cost as well.
1: Well, they're also going to go over it with a fine tooth comb when you install it.
0: Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Going yeah.
1: To, you know, and it, it's me, it ultimately I said this to him yesterday, um, this morning, I said, you know, you're probably going to be quite anxious now until you actually get it installed. And I said, but well, that's, you know, that's just part of the learning process of concrete. Um, the thing is, it used to, if, when I say bothered me, I didn't sit there at night sweating and fretting that people used to think that about, you know, the product we, you know, use and sell. It was more a case of like, well, Try it before you have an opinion, because that's always been me. I, I always try something for myself, you know. First, it used to bother me that people wouldn't do that, but then it stopped now because the people that have used it here are like, you know, this is, you know, none of you are lying or you know, you know, telling porky pies, you know, talking shit. You were right, and when they've used it, they've seen it for themselves, and that for me is, you know, that's all I need now. Do you know what I mean? Not that I needed the evidence, but, you know, ultimately when other people are telling you what you already know, it just reaffirms your belief that, you know, what you are saying and what you are doing is the right path to be on. So, But I do notice that we seem to be the whipping boys at the moment for everybody. <laughs> like, you know, if if some if something breaks or somebody's throwing stuff out, you know, there'll be comments like, you oh, should have used Kodiak Pro. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, you know, whatever. So yeah. we've seen that before, you know, with with the GFRC when that came around, I wasn't involved then, but you know, I've read the, I've read the stories you know, the articles about when, you know, people were switching over to GFRC and there was people that were very reticent to it and now recommend it. And yeah. And obviously then when the body rose products came out, you know, there was people that were reticent to those and you know, um, yeah. So that's, people don't like change. Do they?
0: Well, people don't like change. You know, whenever you're on the forefront of anything, there's always gonna be the naysayers. So mm-hmm. it just is what it is. You know, we, we're in a weird position now, with Kodiak, with you know you and John and Joe and myself representing the brand. Is um, people now see it more as we're, we're salesmen? So what we're saying yeah. can't be trusted because we're salesmen, and it's validating mm-hmm. when people like what you've experienced. And me and John experience this every day here. When they they get the product and they call us up and they're like, "Oh my god, oh my god," you know, you guys. <laughs> I thought it was a sales pitch. I decided to give it a try and it is night and day difference. And that validates and it makes you feel so much better that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because you know, I know, John knows, you know, Joe, we all know, but you hear all the, the kind of the trash talk. And, but, you know, kind of go back to what I said earlier, the people that are, that feel the need to try to diminish and tear something down, whatever, that's just reflection of who they are and how they view the world. And that's them. I don't care, you know, you and I were having just a Facebook conversation a few days ago and totally unrelated to concrete, just talking back and forth. And, uh, what I said to you was true freedom in this life is not caring what other people think.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, there was a psychiatrist or psychologist, uh, Adler, Adlerian psychology. And, um, that was his ultimate kind of message was once you are able to, to not care other people's opinions, then you're truly free. That's the true mark of absolute freedom is not caring. I'm not there yet, but I'm pretty darn close. I'm about as close yeah. as a person can be, I think, of just, you know, I see it, and some sometimes it annoys me, you know, like I'll talk to John, he's like, oh, did you see so-and-so's comment? I'm like, ah, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. Whatever. Who cares? But then sometimes I call John up. I'm like, did you see so-and-so's comment? And he's like, ah, I don't care. <laughs> so we kind of bounce each other out. Like, when I care, he doesn't care. When he cares, I don't care. Yeah. And so together Mm -hmm. we just kind of don't care. You know, it's just like, ah, whatever. I think, I think, I I said this too, didn't I? Because I have,
1: you know, no skeletons in my closet when it comes to, you know, this mix and what we do. Because I, you know, we're not sitting here, you know, repackaging, I don't know, you know, dishwashing soap, you know, mixed with, you know, pigeon loft sweepings, you know, saying that it's great when it isn't. Because it does what we actually say it does on the tin, you know. I, I have this kind of serene calm about what we recommend. And at the moment, we're taking phone calls pretty much every week, you know, over here, um, you know, asking to try. I've heard the podcast or, you know, seen the stuff you're making. And, do you know, the way I, I describe it to people is, for me, the entire Kodiak range of this, you know, the CT Prime Protect, Makers, Radmix, um, and now the Glazes. For me, it's all a system. And, you know, it all works together in a nice little ecosystem. So there's a lad over here that was using other products and he makes a lot of tables, really nice lad. And um, he was, you know, um and ah on whether to use it. And he actually got in touch with me when I was in California, funnily enough. And he got fed up with other product for whatever reason. And he said he wanted to try this. And to be fair to the kid, he bought an entire pallet of rat mix up front. So I said, look, you know, happy to come down to your shop, show you how we use it, you know, get you started. And I speak to him pretty much most weeks, um, every week near enough. And, you know, he rang me today and he said, how are you getting on with that conference table? I was like, it's taken me about a day and a half to do with that. i finished, you know, waiting to go, it's just in the way now. And he's like, it's quick turnaround, this stuff, isn't it? It's majorly quick turnaround compared to what I was doing. I was like, yeah, you just literally make a mould, you pour it in, because he's SCC, and you pull it out, you know, you might grow out a few little holes in the verticals, but you know, you seal it and it's done, you know, very quick turnaround. And he, he said, you are right. It is a system, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. There's no guesswork. There's no worry. You're not thinking it's going to shrinkage crack. Is it going to do this? Is it going to curl? Is it going to do that? So, um, you know, um, yeah, I have a serene calm about what we are doing as a brand to promote it because people will see in time, give them time.
0: It's funny. One of the people or organizations or institutes or whatever that, uh, seems to be very vocal trying to diminish. They shift gears week to week to week. And Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago it was pinholes are good. You don't want smooth concrete because it it won't look like concrete. You want pinholes. And then I guess I, I haven't seen the messaging, but the messaging now is pinholes are bad. (laughs) Mm. You don't want pinholes, but the, I always say like people will say whatever, but look at the, look at the work and the photos, um, that I've seen come from these people. It's just Swiss cheese. It's Swiss cheese. The concrete is, you can see it from 20 feet away. It is Swiss cheese. And so you can say that, you know, using a liquid polymer and, and shrinkage reducer, the stuff they're selling will make good concrete, but you can see in the photo, it's not true. And um, so I just encourage anybody that is thinking about trying new products, thinking about changing from what they're using. You know, we do this for a living. I do this for a living. John does it. Joe does it. Martin does it. This is what we do. And it's all we've done. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't do anything else. This is what I do. And for 20 years, and we've struggled and we fought and we've done all these different things just trying to, to make a living and make this viable and make it financially successful. You know we've developed truly developed groundbreaking products that we manufacture. We don't repackage, We're not going to Sherwin Williams. I was just at Sherwin Williams a few days ago, and they have a whole section here concrete sealer. And I know for a fact that several of those sealers in those cans are down down packaged in the bottles mm. and sold to concrete countertop guys as whatever some some concrete sealer. But they're just being repackaged. So we don't do any of those shenanigans. You know we actually truly do do this for the, the trade for the industry. This is for concrete pros by concrete pros. Now there are hobbyists that dabble in this industry. And you know, if you don't want to use a pro grade product, I get it. I get it. You know I mean? There's always going to be a need for a Ryobi. There's always going to be a need for disposable chip brushes. There's always going to be a need for all these different things in, in the world of making things. But if you do this professionally for a living, and this is your livelihood then you should really consider using the very best products you can use. And uh, so anyways, that, that's kind of the message that I have. Um, you know, we have this, this new saying that we're – I sent you a little care pack. I sent them out to – Thank
1: you very much. We got it today. It's wonderful. I'm actually wearing a new T-shirt now. I'm wearing it too. So. It's my
0: favorite T-shirt. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I really like it. I, I, I've worn black T-shirts forever, and these are – it's called vintage white. It's kind of like a heather gray color. And, uh, I've been wearing, been wearing it pretty much every day, but made better to make better, made better to make better. And again, this came, this came from one of our customers from Jess Warren. John was having a conversation with Jess Warren. I want to say it was Jess. It could have been somebody else, but I feel like John told me it was Jess Warren that told him this. And Jess said, he's able to make better products because the concrete he's using was made better. And John relayed this to me. I'm like, Oh my God, that's like genius. That's like such a clear and concise way to put what he's able to do. And I, and I wrote it down and I didn't forget it. And then we kind of, you know, did this little marketing thing, made better to make better. And so we sent these care packages, but we started to really think about that. Like, what does that mean? What does made better to make better mean? And obviously the, the base level that is you're able to make better concrete with better, with better concrete materials, but there's a whole other level to that. And we wrote these little essays about how it applies to other parts of business. But one of them was make better money as an artisan. You can yep. make better money. You can be more profitable by using products that are made better. And I posted this on your page. Or no, I actually didn't post on your page yet. I'm going to. Um, on your page on Facebook. And I posted on on the page that me and John uh, have. And I post on Kodiak Pro. But a little short essay about making better money. But it's one of those things that, is probably the most important part of being a business is being profitable. If you're not profitable, you can have the best product. You can have the best design product. You can have the best website. You can have the best, whatever it is, best warranty, best packaging, best everything, best t-shirts, best stickers, best, whatever you can have the best, everything. But if you're not turning a profit, you're not going to be in business. And so being profitable really at the end of the day, as a business should be your primary goal. And there's a lot of ways to do that, but if you're able to make something once, you know, quality costs less than doing it twice. If you're able to do something once, you're able to put one day into it instead of three, kind of like that conference table you're working on. Normally that would take mm-hmm. four or five days or longer with and water polishing, and water polishing, all the steps you have to go through. You don't have to do that now. And if you're able to deliver a product to the client that ultimately has little to no callbacks compared to what you used to use, then you're far more profitable. The time you spent on that piece Is just a small fraction of what you used to spend, and the the life cycle of that piece. Whereas you know you install something with some topical sealer that you know in a year you're going to call back. Hey, the sealer's coming off, and you got to go out there and repair it, and all that time that's built in down the road. You don't have that anymore. You don't have those hours spent doing those things. That really leads to profitability. So, anyways, that was just it's the first essay we released. I released it this week, and I'll post it on other social media outlet, so people can read it. It's pretty short. It's only a few paragraphs. But I think it's very, very pertinent to the conversation. But,
1: but that's the point, isn't it? Because at, at the end of the day, like whether somebody thinks you need pinholes for it to look like concrete, well, two things. I've never had a client that said to me, I'm coming to concrete for holes. You know, they actually come for texture, you know, a bit of depth. Um, or if, I'll be honest with you, nowadays for us, speaking for, for our business, people actually come into us you know what can you design for us? Or I've seen you've designed this. Can we have something similar? So it's not like you said before. We spoke about it in private and, and on the course. You know the concrete is a means to an end, and the beauty of having this product now. You know I love spraying. Or I used to. You know. You know wear a ball gag and all that jazz. You know. um, You know pulp fiction in the basement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know. Ultimately now I can design something that really. I'd have to jigsaw mold, i have so many separate pieces of spray in and assemble it and then have a, you know, then I'd have to try and pour it and whereas now I can just not worry about any of that. I can just design the object, the mold with it, and pour it in and you know, have full confidence it's gonna come out looking how I want it to look. You know, and to me that's that's priceless, you know. That's how those designs are how we're gonna make money going forward because they'll be unique to us. And, you know, don't be wrong, they might be shit and no one buys them, in which case, you know, <laughs> they're fucking worthless. But, you know, ultimately, the plan is to have designs that, you know, people come to us for. And it's because I have a product now that allows me to do that. And whether people want to admit it or not, the products that were available just couldn't do that. Whether it was large pinholes, whether it was segregation, whatever, you know, or even sometimes not even reaching the other side of the mold. Cause it gel up too soon, you know, whether you put ice in it or not, you know, you know, all the problems you've been in it, you know, twice as long as I have. So, um, you know, I don't really buy into this. It must have pinholes and and all this shit, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's, for me, it's, it's about the design. It's about the, the end product and clients have never come to me saying I want holes in it
0: personally. They may have for other people, but for me, they haven't. It's one of those things that if if we said as Kodiak, the sky is blue, somebody's going to say the sky is orange. You're like, okay, okay, whatever. (laughs) The sky is orange, and in your perception of reality, that's what it is. It seems like I have two different messages when it comes to concrete, but I really have one message, and that is people don't buy concrete. They buy what you make with concrete. That's the ultimate message in our workshops. People buy what you make with concrete, and so there's... Over the last 20 years, I've seen there's camps of people that really focus on the material science aspect of it, and they get so hyper-focused on it, and it becomes their, you know, everyday, just all they, all they do is they just keep trying to tweak it make it better and do this and do that. And I get it. I mm. love it. But at the same time, they're not selling anything to clients. Because they think if they have the most recycled concrete in the world, the most recycled content, the lowest CO2 footprint, whatever it is, that's going to be enough. But it's not enough. That's not going to get people in the door. It might get one client a door, but you're not going to get enough to sustain a business. And so I've seen that happen. The companies that are successful long-term are companies that when you look, they have a very innovative product line, whether it's sinks or countertops, like Futong Chang's countertops back in the day were very innovative, or planters or bollards, Whatever it is, fire tables, your core tin finish. There's there's different types of innovation, but it's innovation that bring people to the table to order a product. That's what they're looking for. They're looking at what you can make with concrete. They're not looking for the concrete itself. So I say the concrete doesn't matter. It's what you make with concrete matters. That's true from a point of the client view, but as a business, the concrete matters. As a business, the concrete matters because you can't afford to make it twice. You can't afford to spend three days slurring pinholes. You can't afford to go back in six months or a year to repair a piece because it wasn't strong enough. The sealer wasn't strong enough. The concrete wasn't strong enough. You can't afford that as a business. So from a sales viewpoint, the concrete doesn't matter. From a, con- from a company viewpoint, the concrete matters for your long-term mm. viability. So anyways, it, this is probably one of the more difficult businesses to, uh, to thrive in because of there's so much more to it you know you're you're doing a lot of things but what we're trying to do is Kodiak is take out you know the people that really geek out on the on the chemistry that's John Schuler John Schuler geeks out on chemistry John Schuler geeks out on innovation he's yeah. always testing every day when i talk to john he's ordering materials from these different material suppliers and testing them he's never satisfied Never satisfied. He's ordering this raw material. He's going to test it with a sealer. He's getting phenomenal results. He's going to order this poslin. He's going to do some tests with it. Oh, man, this thing's amazing. It wets out so much quicker, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's John. He geeks out on Hmm. that. But John, let John geek out on it. You know, buy the innovation. The innovation's in a bag. You're able to buy it. You're able to skip 20 years of tinkering to get to the, the finest materials. And you're able to make the things that people want to buy.
1: And it's 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 easy. There's no guesswork really. As long as you follow the instructions. Um, the YouTube video you've done, it's it's easy. Um and don't fucking rush things. That's the biggest thing I, I talk to people over here, everything's a rush. I demold it in sixteen hours or you know, I didn't put I I couldn't be bothered going to get some more ice from the shop. Um, so it was like twenty-five degrees by the time it's slaked and it's like, you know, it's about ninety Fahrenheit and you know all comes down to rushing you know and ultimately if you rush this material it will beat you down it's the nature of the beast is like you said a formidable opponent so you know there's a reason there's guidelines out there and instructions out there you know Um, obviously there's some friends of mine like to break rules but there's certain rules that you don't break um, you know like that so yeah don't rush stop rushing I can say one thing that people take away from this. Just don't rush. Take your time. And I'll be honest with you, you did that um, before I forget now you've got to go in a minute. You did that video. Oh, was it on? I hope Get the bloody name of the thing. You did that video where you made those two blue sinks last year. Do you remember? Of course you remember. Oh, is it on Daily Motion, is it? Or Vimeo? Vimeo? Mm-hmm. Vimeo. Yeah. Yeah, you did that. You did that, the sink here. And I, I um, at the time, I bought it. And I'll be honest with you, I bought it as kind of like a, you know, you've released free information over the years, and I'd learn from it. So it was a kind of, you know, if I can give back in some small way for all that free information, I can. And I watched it at the time, um, and I watched it again the other day. Um, that's how sad my life is. And <laughs> it, honestly, God, yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a little things you pick up, like the little acetone dispenser you've got, and I was like, oh, my God, I need to order one of them now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I digress. You know, where was I fucking going with this? Help me, Brandon. I've lost well, the plot. Well,
0: slowing down, taking your time. Yeah, slowing doing things down, right
1: and way. that's yeah. I Watched you on the video, and you know, because lately, last probably ten months, um, I've really kind of slowed things down and looked at what I'm doing and take my time. Like sometimes I'll find myself in the workshop, like doing something stupid, like I're rushing. And I, I've learned that's like, why am I rushing? Who for? For what reason? Why am I trying to save three seconds of time doing this? And that's what I was looking at you again in the video, and that's why I watched it again. It was the kind of how, you know, methodical and slow you were doing things, um, you know, and that's that was what I took away most from buying that was just take your time, you know, A, B, C, you know, there's no rush while you're rushing, um, you know, that's the biggest thing, you know, just slow down, you know, enjoy the process as well, you know, and the beauty of Kodiak is you don't have to rush around like a tit in a trance, you know, panicking when you're casting. It should It should be, you know, for the most part you know, quite relaxed, um, which it is for me
0: now, you know, um, you know, slow is fast, fast is slow. I tell it to my wife all the time. When our kids are, are, having a meltdown of some sort, your initial instinct is to try to just resolve it fast. Yeah. You know, what do you need? What do you want? What was going on? Tell me what's going on. Ah, you know, and my, my wife will sometimes try to resolve it quickly. And I tell her slow is fast, fast is slow. Just slow down for a minute. Ask him. I, I like kneel down give me a hug. What's going on? Tell me what's going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, and, and I spend 30 seconds comforting them and it's over versus had I just tried to rush through it 10 minutes later, it's still meltdown city because yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking it easy and, and addressing it. And in my shop personally, so the, the concrete side, you're absolutely right. You know, you're not running around like crazy. It's not kicking off on you unless you're not using ice and you're in a hot shop and you're not doing things the way you're supposed to. But if you're doing things the way you're supposed to, it is super consistent and very low stress, the casting process, which I love. And it takes experience. Kind of go back to the the thing you talked about earlier, yeah. that guy that was doing this for the first time. He doesn't have enough experience to have the warning signs go off in his mind yet. But over the years, what has gotten me every time is I'm, I'm building a mold. I'm going to cast. I'm like, there's a little red flag going off in my mind. Like, you know, hey, 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 hey you need to add another support right there. You need to add a clamp. You need to do something. Then I override it and I say, nah, it's good enough. Right? Yeah. It's good enough. Mix it. Let's go. Come on. And there's a saying, good enough is the enemy of great. And it is every time. Good enough is the enemy of great. Whenever I say that form is good enough, that's when it's 90% full and I hear pop. And then all the concrete's on the floor. Because Mm -hmm. my subconscious saw a problem. My subconscious was telling me, you need to address that right now because that's going to be a problem. And then my conscious mind overrides it and says, nah, I think it's going to be okay. But it would, it would have taken me one minute to cut a scrap of yep. wood and screw it on there and solve the problem. But instead, I override it. My conscious you know, <laughs> mind will override that thing and then it'll bite me. It happened to me on a video. I, I did a Facebook Live when I was doing a fire, uh, triangle and fire pit. And um I was doing this Facebook live video and I felt like I should add a couple more screws to hold the form down down to keep it from uplift when I started to fill it. But I looked at it and I said, eh, I mean, what was the pull out on these screws? Like a thousand pounds or something. Yeah. Um <laughs> and there's like 10 screws in there, so it's like ten thousand pounds. It's not gonna pop. And but my, the red flags are going off. And I started filling it up and it got almost all the way full and I heard pop pop and I look and there's Concrete, just like this brownish purple <laughs> concrete, just covering the floor in my shop because it's an SEC and just spread out. And then, you know, then I spend the next three, four hours cleaning the floor, cleaning the mold, re prepping everything. If I just take, if I just slow down a couple more minutes, a couple more screws when the red flags are going off, do it slow is fast every time. But yep. that's a lesson I learned. And it's a lesson I'm going to continue to learn until I finally learn it and I stop making that mistake. Yeah. What are you doing today, then? If your fella's not coming, the art image farm not coming. Well, he's definitely not coming, and he owes me fifteen hundred bucks, so I doubt I'll see him ever again. <laughs> <laughs> just, just burning money, <laughs> dude. Yeah, he's out there spending my money right now. That guy. Yeah. He's probably at the casino trying to make that fifteen hundred to fifteen thousand. <laughs> but uh, what am I going to do today? Well, when I get off here, I'm going to edit this, and that's really when when I do a podcast, record a podcast. That's yeah. really where all the time is. It's not in recording the podcast. I mean, that, that eats up an hour, mm-hmm. hour and 15 minutes of your time. But editing, and people think editing, oh, brains they're changing words around. And No, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm cutting out your audio when I'm talking, my audio when you're talking, so you don't yeah. hear my nose breathing or me shaking, shaking my water glass around. You know, I'm, I'm getting rid of that. I'm getting rid of any ums, uh, yeah. uh, you know, which they're in every podcast. I get rid of that yeah. stuff. I get rid of anything that's annoying to the listener. I'm not getting rid of the messaging. I'm not getting rid of the conversation. The conversation is there. What we say is there. I'm just making it more pleasant to listen to. But that takes time. You have to go through it. If I record an hour and a half, it probably takes me three hours afterwards, just in post, just to go and clean up the audio.
1: Do you also do a um, thing you don't need as well? Um, oh, Got a
0: cover picture for it as well? That only takes a second. And that goes mm-hmm. pretty quick. So yeah, I gotta do a custom cover photo on every one, but that's pretty easy to do. And then I gotta write a description, which is a couple paragraphs. That's doesn't take too long. It takes maybe five, 10 minutes. Really, it's just going through the audio, you know, is super slow because there's different mm. channels. And so I'm I'm cutting audio on this channel. So you don't if you're talking, I'm just cutting out the audio here. But you have to find the exact moment where it goes to John talking or me talking, and then you have to cut out the audio on other ones. It just takes a while. It's just slow. I it's tedious. To
1: yourself every week.
0: Yeah, and so, <laughs> and so when people are like, you know, uh, they think it's easy to do a podcast. I think they find out pretty quick that if you're doing a podcast, that's easy to listen to. Meaning the audio is good. The it's it's not nose breathing. Blah, 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 you know all the sounds that takes some work, and it's not easy to do. And you know, it, for me, quality is is where it's at. So I'd rather put in the time, but it does take time. So to answer your question, that's yeah. what I'm we'll gonna be doing when we get off here. I'm going to be sitting here in my office with headphones on for the next uh, three hours or so, and I'll be editing. Listening to me talk. (laughs) (laughs) Really what I like to do is listen to me talk. That's my favorite part. I just just put it on a loop and I just listen to myself say something again and again. Oh, man, that was great. I love the way I said that. (laughs) The funny thing is there's people out there that will believe that. They're going to be like, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, They don't have a sense of humor. (laughs) <laughs>
1: <Dude>. <laughs> I bet you have one of those, like, um, you know, in the castles, you have like a picture of the king, you've got a, like a 17 foot picture of Brandon Gore, and you're holding the skull in your house. That's what people
0: think. Yeah, well, there, yeah. there was, uh, I, I said something a long time ago that I was a concrete Jesus, as a joke. As a joke. You know, like, I'm not religious, but I'm also not, like, sacrilegious, you know? You're
1: not 666 followers, isn't you, as well? Something like that,
0: yeah. I mean, it hovers magically at 666 followers on, on Instagram. But yeah. I said something about that. And there's people today that just cling to that. They're like, Brandon said he was the concrete. Jesus! Ah! Fuck that guy! And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very Christian, does it? doesn't it sound like the Christian thing to say. It's just a sense of humor. Like I, maybe my sense of humor is lost on people, or maybe people are just looking for the worst and it just passes over their head. Like they don't see it that mine it, is as well, yeah. it's tongue yeah, it in cheek. Mine, yeah, Yeah, mine is as well, yeah.
1: So I get called pretentious and all sorts. And I just try to be black and white online because I don't want the information I'm giving up to be misconstrued or you know, taken the wrong way. So I try to be as clear as possible. And the thing is, what makes me laugh is, and I've seen it in your responses, you know, I've never set out to upset anybody you know with my responses i'm just talking from my experience but i realize that people take offense to that for whatever reason and that's that's their problem and not mine but yeah it's yeah nature of the forums unfortunately but the irony is you know these people that don't like us they they complain that the industry has shitty work and yet the only way to improve the industry is to actually help people by giving information to them you know, and doing courses and things like that. You know, that's, that's how it grows for the better for all of us. So concrete is taken seriously as a medium, as much as granite is, for example, or marble. Um, you know, it only gets there by people giving out information.
0: All right, Martin. Well, it's great talking, buddy. Cheers, pal.
1: And you, sir. Have a nice day. Enjoy your day, my friend. Adios. See you later, pal. Bye-bye.